you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. But we are going to pick up from where we finished last week. And last week we talked and the title of the message was Show Me Your Ways. I want to pick that up today because I believe there's more that God wants to speak to us about in this. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalms 103 verse 7. If you're not turning to it, you can scroll to it. You can open the app to it. Um, But it is just one verse, so you'll be able to also see it behind me on the screen. Psalms 103 verse 7. If you are visiting us today, um, we want to welcome you. It is so good to have you with us. And not just if you're visiting or it's your first time, for each and every one of us, it's great to be gathered together. Psalms 103 verse 7 says this. The psalmist David, speaking of God, he says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts, or what some translations might say, his deeds or his works to the people of Israel. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Let's pray. Father God, we're gathered here today. We've come today because we have a desire, a hunger, maybe just that mustard seed of faith that we want to worship you, we want to honor you, we want to praise you, but we also believe, Lord, that there's things that you want to do in our lives, in our families, in our communities, And so today, we pray that prayer of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your church is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, we incline our ears to you today. Lord, in everything that we've come with, whether we've come on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether we've come with successes or setbacks, whether we've come with joy or we've come with mourning, We lay it all before you today and we say, speak for your servants are listening. We ask you, Holy Spirit, have your way today. Lead us not according to our emotions, but according to your word. We thank you and we commit this time over to you. Let it be a holy time. Let it be a sacred time and let it be a sacred space. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can take your seats. Show me your ways. I want to do a little recap from last week. If you haven't watched the message or heard the message, or if you've had one of those weeks where you just don't remember the message or what was said, that's okay. Um, but we want to do a little recap. So if you've got like a favorite Netflix series and they've got that little bit where you can skip recap at the beginning, don't do that. I just want to do a little recap of what we spoke about last week. This this psalm, Psalms 103, is penned by the psalmist David. Out of 150 psalms that we have in scripture, around about half are written by David. But not only were these words that he wrote, this also became part of his prayer. You read through the psalms and many times David, in various ways, would pray this type of prayer. He would say, Lord, help me to know your ways. He would say, teach me your ways. Even one prayer, a dangerous prayer, he says, make me to know your ways. 
That's a kind of one of those prayers, Lord, make me know you. Make me to know who you are. You see, and it seems that when David makes this statement that Moses knew the ways of the Lord and Israel knew the works of the Lord, it seems that David was making a distinction between knowing someone's acts and knowing them personally. We talked about some of the different things that took place in the 21st century, some of the landmark moments. But what we kind of summarized is that there is a difference between being inspired by someone and knowing them themselves. It's possible to know what someone has done, but not know the person themselves. All you have to do is look at Instagram today. And you look at the followers and you look at some of the most popular people, Kylie Jenner. I think it's Kylie. I might be wrong. It's Kylie Jenner. Right? One of like 300 million followers. Cristiano Ronaldo. Ariana Grande. I don't follow any of them, but I've heard that they have a lot of followers. But you look at it and it's possible to inspire, but yet you do not know that person. And we said maybe this is a distinction that David was making. That maybe Israel, throughout their whole journey, knew the acts of God but never knew, came to know God himself. But Moses seemed to know the ways of God. And so where did this come from? Where did David pen these words from? And we went back to Exodus 32 to 34, and a series of conversations that Moses had with God. We see that throughout these three chapters, as Israel have come out of the wilderness, and they're moving towards this place of promise, that God had given them, Moses has a series of meetings and encounters with God where he would go up the mountain, he would meet with God, and he would come back down the mountain. Moses was getting his steps in, right? If he had had a phone back then, he'd have his steps. He was getting his steps in. Moses must have been a fit man. Up and down the mountain, meeting with God. He would have had more than 10,000 steps because that seems to be the goal daily if you try to change your fitness regime. He would have had way more than that. But up and down, meeting with God. And what we realized is that that this prayer that David prayed in Exodus, oh, Moses prayed in Exodus 33, 13, he says this to God. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. He says, consider too that this nation is your people. Moses' prayer to show me your ways was the prayer of God, I want to know your presence and I want to know your purpose. I don't just want to know your works. Yes, I want to see miracles. Yes, I want to see all of these things, but I want more than that. I want your presence and I want your purpose for my life. And then finally, we looked at this conversation that Moses had had with God, and God said to Moses this. He said, you go up to the place of promise, Moses. Take Israel to that land of promise. But he says this, but I am not going to go with you. He said to Moses, you can have your promise, but you won't have my presence. And we realize that it's possible to receive from the hand of God and yet end up further away from God. It is possible in 2024 to get every one of your prayers answered and yet still not know God more intimately. And we we came to that place of conclusion that the most important thing that Moses prayed, the most important thing that David prayed was before your miracles, before your works, before any of this, Lord, we pray for your presence. 
and we pray for your purpose. And today we want to pick this up and we want to talk a little bit further about Moses's, Moses and the presence of God and Moses and the purpose of God. And the first thing we pick up from Exodus 32 to 34 is that Moses valued the presence of God. Moses made room for God's presence. When you look and you journey through Moses' life, from the very beginning, the very genesis of Moses' journey, it was built off God's presence. It was built off an encounter with God. Whether you go back to Exodus 3 and the burning bush, he encountered God at the beginning of his call. Whether it was Mount Sinai where he went into the glory of God, whether it was the building of the tabernacle, but when you journey through the life of Moses, you see that he valued and made room for God's presence. But let me say this. I don't want us thinking that that means that every day Moses woke up and he just heard God so clearly. If you do that, praise God. If that's you, amen. But I know for me in my journey, I've not heard God every day. There's been times of prayer or times and seasons in my life where I feel like God is distant. How many people have ever felt like that? But maybe you don't hear God's voice every single day. If you do, then I'm coming around to your house. I'm coming to see you. I need you to give me a word sometimes. But yet, there's moments and times in my life where it feels like God is not as close as I need him to be, as I want him to be. But that's different than valuing God's presence in your life, seeking him in prayer, making time to study his word, joining together in community. It seems like Moses valued the presence of God. Whether that was at the beginning of his journey or at the end of his journey, Moses is one of the few people in the Bible whose journey finished as well as it started. A lot of people in the Old Testament, they started well, but they finished badly. But when you look at Moses' life, it seems that his journey was consistent. In this day and age, it's difficult to sometimes it feels difficult to make room for God's presence. If you think about it, some of us might be working early mornings till late evenings. We might be raising families. We might have expectations of family. We might have all of these things. And sometimes it can be hard to make time for the presence of God. But Moses was leading a nation that some people estimate of up to three million people. I think he was busy. I think he had things on his agenda. I think his calendar could have been full. Some estimate 3 million, but the, the, the least ex, um, estimations are 100,000. That's still a lot of people. That's still a lot of expectations. That's still a lot of pressure. That's still a lot of calendar entries, a lot of diaries, or whatever they used back then, inscriptions on stone. That's still a lot of things, but yet no matter how much pressure came, no matter how much expectations were put on Moses, he always made time to seek the face of God. Whether you're working at 6 a.m., whether you're working at 7 a.m., whether you're raising a family on your own, whether there's health challenges, whatever it may be, I don't want to dismiss it, but yet we have to see that the prayer begins by saying, Lord, I want to know your presence. In Exodus 32, verse 1 to 4, it talks about how when Moses had gone up the mountain, it says that they'd gone up the mountain and he began, and they said that Israel looked and they said that Moses has not come back down quick enough. So they said to Aaron, Aaron, 
We need to form another God. We need to create another God. So Aaron says to the people of Israel, take the gold out of your ears. Like preparing for a fight, right? Someone takes the earrings out. Take the gold out of your ears. Take the jewelry out of your sons and your daughters. And they fashioned a God. They fashioned a golden calf. Because Moses hadn't come back down from God's presence quick enough. But what you notice about this and what strikes me and something to make note of is that the gold that they used was a blessing from God. Exodus 3.22, bear with me, I'm going somewhere with this. Exodus 3.22, when God first begins to speak to Moses about how he's going to bring Israel out of Egypt, he says this, each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman living in the neighbor's house for jewelry of silver and of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Just one more verse, Exodus 12, 35 and 36, it says this. The Israelites had acted according to the word of Moses. They had asked the Egyptians for jewelry of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they let them have what they asked and so they plundered the Egyptians. When Israel came out of Egypt, they came out with something. My question to you is, whatever you have been going through, what are you coming out with? Or is the approach and the attitude, I'm just waiting for the storm to pass. I'm just waiting for the seasons to turn. If that's the attitude, then we're missing something of what God wants to do in the seasons and the moments of life. Because when you come through something, if you've got a hold of God in that season, if you've got a hold of God in those moments, you will come out with something you didn't go in with. And when Israel came out of Egypt, when they came out of that season, when they came out of those circumstances, they came out with something they hadn't entered in with. What is God building you in this season? What is God bringing you out with? I don't know what 2023 looked like. I don't know what 2022 looked like. Maybe the 2020s have been difficult. Maybe there were some difficult moments, but my question is what has God built in you that wasn't there when you went into that season? You see, the attitude of Christians can't just be batten down the hatches and wait for the season to change. The attitude needs to be, God, what are you building in me? What is God bringing you with? When you come out of that circumstance, when you come out of that challenge, are you coming out with a greater faith than you went in with? A greater humility, a greater holiness. What are you coming out with that you didn't go in with? Or are you just waiting for the season to change? If you're waiting the season to change, I can guarantee you this, you're going to go back into the same season real soon. But if you come out of that season with something you didn't go in with, maybe that season won't come back. They came out with something. Because you know what? This is a reality. Is that as Christians, we're going to go through things that everyone goes through. Just because we're Christians, just because we belong to God, just because we're his children, doesn't mean you're not going to face things. I reject that gospel that tells you that if you suffer, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's not what the Bible shows me. That's not what scripture shows me. I love what Moses said. When God said, I'm not going to go with you, Moses said this. He said, I am not going to go to the place of promise if your presence isn't with me. And he said this, and this, this, these words I love. He says this, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight 
unless you go with us. In this way, we will be different from every other people on the face of the earth. You know what separated God's people? You know what separates God's people? It's not simply just how moral you are. It's not simply how perfect you try to be. The only thing that truly separates us is that we belong to him. That's the only thing. Don't get me wrong. Your, your lifestyle should change. Your ethics should change. Your morals should change. Your lifestyle should change. But what truly makes you different is that you have the presence of God in your life. What doesn't make you different is you're not going to go through difficult seasons like other people do. You're going to go through what some people, you're going to mourn, you're going to grieve, you're going to struggle, you're going to go through things. There might be health challenges, there might be depression, there might be different things, but what separates you is not that you avoid difficult times, it's how you go through those times and who you have access to in those times. You know what the biggest thing that gets me here? Is that this gold that they used to create the calf was a blessing from God. So what Israel and Aaron had literally done is taken the blessings of God and made an idol out of it. I'll let it sink in for a moment. They had taken the blessings of God and decided to be led by the blessings and not by God himself. I'm going to let this just right there. What they had done is they had received from the hand of God and then put their trust in the provision and not the provider. They put their trust in the gift and not the gift giver. They made an idol out of their answered prayer. They made an idol out of blessings. Surely that's not possible. I've seen it over and over and over again. Can I be real this morning? Lord, give me a relationship. I think you know where I'm going. So this is the point. If you need the toilet, go to the toilet. <laughs> Lord, give me a relationship. And then God blesses them with a relationship. And all of a sudden, they're led by their spouse more than they are God. <laughs> it's a reality sometimes. And we put more value and more emphasis on what our spouse tells us than on what God tells us. And before you know it, you get your blessing, and before you realize it, you're moving away from God because you've stopped listening to his voice and you started listening to the voice of your blessing. This is what Israel did. They became dependent on what God could give them and not on God himself. Moses' dependency was on the presence of God. We see it in jobs. God, if you give me this promotion, if you give me this job, and before you know it, we're working more hours than we can imagine. I haven't got time to serve. I haven't got time for church. I haven't got time for my family. I haven't got time for these things. And it's funny that it was the thing that you had prayed for that ended up moving you away from what God wanted to do in your life. Can I go even one step further? We can do the same thing with ministry. But we can pour ourselves into doing things 
and our identity. And you know what's crazy? We need the ministry more than the ministry needs us because the ministry meets a need in our lives instead of us meeting a need in the ministry. And we become wrapped up in what we do instead of wrapped up in who he says we are. And you can fill in the gaps on whatever that might look like in your life. But I've been there too. I'm not exonerating myself from that. We have to be careful. But we always, above all else, make time for the presence of God. The security is not in the blessing. The security is in the one who blesses. You know, when we've entered this prayer and fasting, I think this is day four, right? I think it's day four. It feels like day 70. Um, I think it's day four. It's day four. I like it right we're meant to fast this long. It's been six hours. Um, but you know, fasting is not just about what you give up. It's about the room you make in your life. That's what a lot of fasting is about as well. So part of my fast is giving up sweets and chocolate and fizzy. And I'm like, okay, that's difficult. That puts me through changes. But you know what part of my fast was as well? Is I'm not allowed to watch any live sport. Oh, man. Dude, if you know me, I'm like, no, 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 no. But you know what it was about when I made that rash commitment? You know what it was about? It was, not, it was not just about what am I giving up. It was about what room am I making in my life for what God wants to do. It seems that in all the hustle and bustle and the challenges that Moses faced, he made time for the presence of God. The second thing is this. Not only did Moses value the presence of God, but Moses encountered God's character. You know, this is so important to know the nature and the character of God. There are a lot of people that say a lot of things about God. There's a lot of people that believe a lot of things, but we have to know the character and the nature of God. Can I just take a moment in the midst of all of this? I want to just take a few moments to teach something with regards to this passage of Scripture. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Moses is in the presence of God, and he's prayed this prayer, show me your ways. And God reveals his character, and God from his own mouth begins to speak what his nature and his character is like. And in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it says this. The Lord, these are the Lord's words. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. I want to take a few moments and unpack this statement. Is that okay? To unpack what God is saying here. See, firstly, we have to take note that God's emphasis is always on forgiveness, restoration, redemption, compassion. He says, I will show this side of my nature and my character to the thousandth generation. Think about a thousand generations. God says, I will be faithful. I will love. I will restore. I will reconcile. God's emphasis is always on drawing you close. And if you're in here today and you feel like you've been separated or you feel like you're not sure where God is in your life, from God's words himself, you need to know that God loves and draws you close. But what do we do 
with difficult statements. He says here that I will by no means clear the guilty, but visit the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What do we do with difficult passages? Do we sweep them under the rug? Do we move them aside? Do we just read the first half of the verse and then praise God? What do we do when we encounter parts of the Bible that stand in tension with what you feel or believe? See, what I love is that people in the Bible weren't afraid to ask God difficult questions. Abraham did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses did it. David did it. Jeremiah did it. Habakkuk, the whole book of Habakkuk is about Habakkuk saying, God, are you sure? Really, God? I don't think that's you. And it goes back and forth. This is not a dishonoring thing, but sometimes you're going to come to places in your life but all you have is to be real with God. If you don't develop the art of being real with God, you're going to go through things and it's going to make you bitter. But when you have the presence of God to come and begin to be real with him like David is in the Psalms, when he literally says, Lord, smash my enemies in the teeth. I'm like, we've never heard that prayed from the pulpit, have we? But yet it was David's emotions, his raw emotions. I'm hurting, Lord. I'm angry. I don't understand. And he began to be real with God. It's okay to be real with him. As long as you're prepared that you might not get the answer you want. That's when it's true questions, God. Is when you're not demanding a certain answer, but you want to know him and what he has to say. So what do we do about this statement that the Lord visits the iniquity of the parents upon the third and the fourth generation? There's two things I want to offer, two thoughts. Firstly, is historical. We have to remember that these words were written nearly 4,000 years ago. So there is a historical element whenever we pick up the Bible. Sometimes that's why some of us don't pick up the Bible. We look at it and we're like, I don't understand this, close it. But yet there's a historical reality. And what we, don't, what we have to realize is in that day and age, every Jewish household, pretty much every Jewish household, would have three or four generations in the same home. So what God could be actually saying here is that when you make decisions in your life, it impacts upon your household. Because there are three or four generations in every house. So what he's saying is, is when you make decisions, it's not just yourself you need to think of. It's for generations coming after you. How does your life now impact upon the children? Do you pray with them? Speak the word with them? Do you sit with them? Listen to them. Sometimes it's not easy as parents. Sometimes I thank God for Netflix, and sometimes I think it's the worst thing in the world. It depends how I'm feeling on that day. But yet the reality is that if there are three or four generations in every household, God says that your decisions will impact upon your community, upon your household. It's important to know that. The second thing is this, and if you love studying the Bible, I want you to make a note of this. When it comes to studying the Bible, one of the most important tools and aspects you can ever use is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let the whole Bible speak, not just one verse. I love standing on certain verses and quoting them in prayer, but if your whole life and whole theology of God is built off one verse, it's time to go a bit deeper. Is that okay to say that? It's time to dig a bit further. One of my favorite programs as a kid, I love talking about the things I watched as a kid. 
that I grew up as an 80s, early 90s child, right? So I grew up with teenage, thank you, amen. I grew up with Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. I grew up with The Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker. I grew up with Nightmare, if you ever remember this program. I grew up with, what else, Inspector Gadget. I grew up with all of these programs, right? The Secret World of, I'll go too far now. But I grew up with all of these programs. But one of the shows that used to be on in my house as a kid was a quiz show, but still on now. You may remember it, you may not. It's called Catchphrase. Remember that, right? You might have an image in a second. If an image isn't brilliant quality, that's on me. Um, I sent it to them. But if you could put that image up. Um, this program called Catchphrase. And what you would have to do is they would show these short animated videos. You remember this? They'd show these short animated videos. And you would have to guess what it is. It would, it would uh, represent a famous saying like it's raining cats and dogs or whatever it might be. And at the end of each round, they would have this screen with this image behind it, and it would have nine squares. And each time you would press this buzzer, it would take one square away. And you would have to guess what the picture was behind the squares. And you know, theology is a lot like this sometimes. But when you've only removed one thing, it's very difficult to get the right picture. But yet, when you begin to remove all these tiles, you begin to get a clear picture of what's in front of you. And theology is like that, that the more that you read through Scripture, the more you begin to hear God's voice through Scripture, the clearer picture you get of God's nature and God's character and God's person. Moses trusted in the nature, the character, and the person of God. One author said it like this, if you cannot understand the hand of God, make sure you trust the heart of God. And sometimes you might, sometimes I have no clue, I can't be honest, I have no clue what God's doing. Sometimes I'm like, God, what is going on? But I trust his heart. I trust his character. I trust his nature. But if all else fails, I know my God is good. I know my God is faithful. I know my God is true. And so we have to begin to let scripture interpret scripture. And I want to go to one other verse. Exodus 20 speaks about the same thing, but says something that helps us understand what God is saying. It says as the Ten Commandments are given, Exodus 25 and 6, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. There's punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation for those who love me and keep my commandments. What God is saying when you bring these scriptures together is not that God inflicts punishment on the children because of the lifestyle of the parent, but that God holds accountable the children who continue to live in the same way as their parents. And it, it's about accountability. It's about God saying that if you serve me, if you hold on to me, if you Trust me that I will love you and bless you no matter what your background is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've come through. You are free to know me and to serve me and to love me. But if you continue, then I will hold you accountable for your decisions. You know what? It's another way of saying you can't get to my age 41 and still be blaming other people for what you've been through. You can't. 
I'm not saying, and I don't dismiss what people have faced, I really don't, but there comes a point in your life where you deal with the, card, the cards that you have been dealt. And it might have been difficult, it might have been dark, it might have been a lot of suffering, and I'm sorry, it may have been like that, but there comes a point where you stand before God and God holds you accountable for the way that you live. This is not an easy message in some ways, and I was about to apologize, but I'm not apologizing. But it's not a, not a completely easy message, but the reality is that this is actually encouraging because it says no matter what your background is, no matter what story you've come out of, no matter what generational things you've been through, no matter what circumstances you've faced, you are free to serve God, to love God, to bless God. We've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Moses valued the presence of God, and Moses encountered the character of God. I want to speed it up a little bit. Um, Moses and the purposes of God. This prayer that Moses prayed, show me your ways, Lord, was a prayer to say, God, I want to follow your ways. I want to know your plans, your purposes. And the first thing we see from Exodus 32 to 34 is Moses' heart aligned with God's. When Moses spent time in the presence of God, his heart aligned with God's will, God's purposes, and God's desires. The scriptures tell us in Exodus 32 that when God saw what Israel were doing in their rebellion, it says that God's anger burned hot against Israel. And Moses begins to talk to God back and forth. But what we then begin to find as Moses comes off the mountain, the exact same words that are used to describe God's attitude to Israel is the exact same words that describe Moses's. It says that Moses's anger burned hot against Israel. Moses's desires began to align with God's. When Moses looked out, he saw what God saw. And this is so key because my question to us today is when we look out at situations, do we see what God sees? I go to things like Nehemiah. When he heard about the walls of Israel, of Jerusalem, he began to weep. He began to call a fast. He began to respond. When Jesus looked out over Jerusalem, it says that he looked and he saw the people as like a sheep without a shepherd. What do we see when we look at our world today? What part of creation have you and I been called to see God's will and God's purposes fulfilled? Yes, Moses valued God's presence, but because Moses valued God's presence, Moses began to see God's purposes. When we look at our world today, can I be honest, our world is broken. I'm not going to stand here and say it's more broken than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but the reality is that we live in a broken generation where violence is rife. Our prison systems are broken. Our education systems only suit certain young people. Our mental health systems are broken. Our young people are facing battles they've never faced before. There are things going on in our generation, and when we come off that mountain, the presence of God, what do we see? Do we see what God sees? You see, the problem is sometimes is that we're so busy comparing our light to other Christians' light that we don't spend enough time shining it into the darkness. And we try to work out, well, I teach, but I don't think I can teach that well because they're an amazing teacher. Or I want to I worship, but man, they look so amazing when they lead worship and they sound amazing. And, and we end up comparing ourselves to other people 
And because we compare ourselves to other people, we don't ever shine the light that God has given us into the places that God wants us to shine. You know, one of the great stories I find in Scripture is Acts chapter 9, verse 36 to 39. And it speaks about a lady by the name of Dorcas, or otherwise known as Tabitha. And it speaks about a point in time where it says that here she had passed away. And I want to read from Acts 9, verse 36 to 39. It says this. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with a request. Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. And it says this, surrounding this lady, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. You know, sometimes we can become so consumed by what God has called us to that we miss the power in simply serving. We miss the power in simply putting our hands to the plow and using whatever it is that God has given us. Dorcas or Tabitha, we'll go with Tabitha, so I've saved both her names every time. Tabitha had used whatever God had given her to make a difference in the people around her. It doesn't say whether this was her business, it doesn't say whether this was a, a certain skill she had, but what we know is she had taken whatever she had and she had used it to serve the most vulnerable in her community. Right back here, you were no more vulnerable than a widow. Widow were the most vulnerable people in this generation. And yet, she made a difference in the lives of the people around her. You don't need a pulpit to have influence. You don't need a big following on social media to have influence. You don't need a big calling, in a sense, to have influence. What you need to do is look at what is in your hand and begin to serve and begin to um, impact the people around you. This is all we hear about her. But yet she had taken what she had and she had made a difference. And when it comes to when we look out at the world around us, do we stop long enough to ask God where he wants us to make a difference? We're not just here to build a nice church. We're not just here to be good disciples. We're not just here to celebrate and to dance and to say what a great service. We're here because God has a plan for your life. Maybe this was her business. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a skill. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe she saw the need and learned how to do it and then met the need. But whatever it was, she made a difference in the lives of the people around her. The second thing, and one of the last things I want to say, is that when it comes to God's purposes and show me your ways, is this. God's ways are not our ways. The Bible says that, is that his ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways. And you know what the reality is sometimes? God is going to lead you to places that are very different than what you expected. Sometimes God will bring you to places in your life that look very different than what you would have chosen for yourself. I don't know about you, but I didn't choose Salford, right? It wasn't on my bucket list. I wasn't there in London. I wasn't like, I want to go to Japan, and I want to go to Vancouver. I want to go to Jamaica, and I want to go to Salford. 
it wasn't part of my prayers. It wasn't part of my bucket list. But yet God placed me here. God called me here. His ways are not our ways. You know what one author said it like this? The biggest danger for Christians is not failure, but it's being successful at the wrong things. You don't want to live your life being successful at the wrong things. Or as another person put it, you want to put the ladder up against the wall, climb to the top of that ladder, and then realize you put it up against the wrong wall. What has God called you to do? What difference does he want you to make? And you might stand there and say, I don't know this grand call. That's okay. But what have you got in your hands today that you can use to make a difference? Let me read this last story, and we're going to begin to wrap up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 12, when God first reveals himself to Moses, he says this. Exodus 3, 7 to 12, speaking about how God was going to bring Israel out of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who were in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land. Verse 9. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Could I stop there for a second? If I was Moses and I'm hearing this, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. Listen to this. I have, this is God speaking, I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I've come close to deliver them and I've seen what has been done to them. You know what's reassuring? That God hears the cry of his people. That God knows the sufferings that they have been through. That God draws close to the brokenhearted. How many of us can take strength out of those promises? And if I'm Moses, I am excited. Yes, God, you're going to deliver my people. You're going to bring transformation. You're going to bring change. God has heard the prayers of the Israelites in slavery. He's heard their cry. He's seen their sufferings. I thank God for that. If I was Moses, I've got the pom-poms out. I'm cheerleading. Give me a J, give me an E, give me an E, all of this, give me, give, oh, actually Yahweh, give me a Y, give me an H, give me a W, and I'm cheerleading, God's my saviour, God's my fighter, God's my deliverer, God hears the prayers, and I'm celebrating and championing God, it's going to, this situation's going to change because my God has come near, my God has heard the prayers of the suffering, God is near to the brokenhearted. I'm Moses, I'm championing God, that's my Yahweh, that's my God, he fights for the vulnerable, he delivers those that need transformation, he raises up the foolish things of the world, he brings transformation in our generations, in our schools, in our prisons, God wants to do this thing, if I'm Moses, I'm like, go, God, go. But verse 10, after all of that, and God says, I've heard their cry, I've seen their suffering, I've seen what's been done to them, I've drawn close to them, and then he says to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you. That gets me. So actually, all that God was going to do was going to be through the life of Moses. 
if we look and we see areas of our nation that are broken, if we see situations that need to change, my question is, have we stopped long enough to ask God the change he wants to bring through you and I? What is it that you and I have seen that isn't just championing the God of transformation, but also recognizes the agents of transformation? God's plans will often be bigger than the plans you ever had for yourself. Moses knew the presence of God, but he came to know the purpose of God too, that God wanted to use him, no matter how much Moses kicked against it. God, I don't speak well. God this, God that. But God used Moses to bring the transformation. I said it last week and I'll say it again. If we declare abundance, if we declare healings, if we declare breakthroughs, if we declare these things, it's not just standing back and watching God do it. What, which one of those things does God want to bring through your life? If there's going to be healings, maybe God's going to place the gift of healing and faith to pray for people to be healed. If there's lives that need to be changed and patterns that need to be broken, maybe God's going to raise up teachers who are going to teach God's word that are going to bring people to maturity in God's house and God's body. If there's financial breakthroughs that God wants to bring, yes, some of them might come through the post. Yes, some of them might come through your workplace, but maybe some of them are going to come through the church. God's going to resource you to give and to bless. And it might not be a, a happy-go-lucky message, but the miracles we proclaim are going to also come through to people, but proclaim them. What part of the world that we look at has God called you to impact? Stand with me today. I want to finish with this as Joshua, if you make your way up. Thank you, man. God called Moses beyond himself. Let me just take a moment to just give a little bit of a, a glimpse into Moses' life. Think about how Moses would have felt. Moses had been called to lead Israel to this place of promise. Moses had his own insecurities, his speech how he sounded, how he looked to people. Moses wasn't the most confident person in the world, but yet he still said yes. Moses was called to lead a broken people. This is a reality. It doesn't get mentioned much. Oh, Israel, Israel, Israel. They were a broken people. They had been through slavery. Their lives were being rebuilt. Moses was called to love and serve a people who were broken. They were living and navigating this journey in the wilderness, in difficult times, with things going on in their lives and challenges. He was leading a multitude of people. And they were going to a place that was filled with enemies. And yet Moses, because he knew God, he knew his character, he knew his nature, no matter how difficult it got, he kept saying yes to God. Can we lift our hands in this place for a moment? And very simply this, if you say, Lord, I want to know your ways. Lord, I need to know you in a different way than I've known you before. I need to know your presence in a deeper way. I need to know your character and your nature. 
Lord, there's been parts of my life where I've doubted your goodness. I've not understood what's taking place. But Lord, I trust in you today. Show me your ways. Or maybe today, maybe you say, you know what? I know God. I've got that relationship with him. I feel like I'm in a good place in that way. But maybe God wants to show you the difference he's called you to make. The places he wants you to serve. The arenas and spaces he wants you to shine. Let's lift our hands in this place and begin to worship him for a moment. Just begin. Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website vomanchester.org.uk for more information.